Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Inside Education, the weekly podcast for educators who are interested in teaching. My name is Sean Delaney and I'm a teacher and teacher educator. My book about teaching, Become the Primary Teacher Everyone Wants to Have, will soon be available as an audiobook narrated by me. You can engage with the programme through Twitter using the handle at InsideEd. To provide feedback or to suggest future guests or topics, you can email me by writing to InsideEducationPodcast at yahoo.com. And it's great to be back with a new season of podcasts and I look forward to sharing them with you in what has been a strange year to date, a year in which many aspects of education have been turned on their head, like extended school closures, an unprecedented amount of teaching taking place online, teachers recommending leaving certificate grades for their students, and schools opening despite the persistence of the coronavirus. Although many people are talking about online education, another response to the pandemic is to do more teaching outdoors. My guest this week is a specialist in outdoors education and one I've spoken to on previous podcasts. Dr Paddy Madden is a former teacher education colleague of mine who has been advocating for school gardens for many years and he regularly visits schools to engage children with nature. Paddy has a wonderful website, Engage with Nature, where there are lots of resources for teaching social, environmental and scientific education. Books he has authored include Go Wild at School and The School Garden, What to Do and When to Do It. You'll enjoy this week's podcast if you're interested in moving more of your teaching outdoors and if you want to awaken in students an interest in nature that can last them a lifetime. You'll also find it interesting if you want to hear about Paddy's vision of what a school garden and what a school grounds should look like. The reason I invited Paddy to be a guest on the first show of the new season was to discuss with him the idea of teaching and learning outdoors. But first I wanted to address the elephant in the room when teaching outdoors in Ireland. So I asked Paddy how he responds to people identifying Irish weather as an obstacle to teaching outdoors. Well, I don't think it's an obstacle, really, because... When you're outdoors, the weather actually can enhance the learning experience. Just wind and, and, and rain, snow even. I mean, I remember being when I was a primary teacher, taking children out to the garden to crack ice on the pond. And they were looking at the, the trees and, and the berries on them. And there were thrushes eating the berries and there was the crispness and the grass and they walked on it. I remember the exhilaration, the excitement of just being in school that day. And they came in then and they created haiku uh, um, poems on the experience. It was most wonderful. No, weather in Ireland is a factor. Okay, you do have to prepare in the school for the weather by possibly having... Uh, outdoor gear like Wellingtons and and uh, waterproof clothing and just it should be nearly part of the of a, a child's apparel coming to school be equipped to go out at all times I mean we can't just go out just when it's it's nice in, in Ireland you take them out and they experience the the the, the wonderful breeze or the the sun or the or the rain or the hailstones even. Uh, so that's that's relearning. It's it's using the senses. And you will remember from your own school time, anytime you used your senses, all of them in learning, or a lot of them, that's what you remember now. When you look back, at least it's what I remember. Because it it embeds itself in your brain. It 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 just stays there. Whereas the great lessons maybe in maths or history and geography they just disappear like a, a pappus on a, on a dandelion seed anywhere. So we'll move on from the weather then, Paddy. Yeah. What are the benefits of teaching outdoors? There are so many. And I mean, nowadays, the, the buzzword in education is well-being, isn't it? Mental well-being. Well, I mean, all the research you have now showing that being outdoors increases your, your well-being and your mental well-being. You know, the, the Japanese have, have, a, have a, a, an activity called forest bathing. Have you heard of that one? Where, uh, Shinrun Yoku, I think is the, the name of it, where you go out into the forest when you're stressed or go into a wood and just breathe deeply 
and watch the greens and the blues, the colours, and this has a, a huge a tranquilizing effect on a person. So it has that lovely name of forest bathing. And there's no reason why you can't take children out to a, under the trees in a school and get them to do that kind of meditation. So uh, we have, there's a, a huge canon of research out there at the moment. Just recently from the universities of um, Exeter and, and Derby, they've done studies on uh, noticing nature uh, from the University of, of Derby 2019. And uh, the research was sponsored by Nature England. Uh, yes, that was it. But they found that Short, sharp bursts of daily activity outdoors has a hugely beneficial effect on well-being, uh, both spiritual and, and physical and, and mental uh, well-being. And it uh, also um, connects children to just uh, some of the activities they actually recommended, was just board watching, cloud watching, listening to the sounds of birds, smelling flowers. And they came up with the findings that these daily encounters were actually more important for people's well-being and for, for their um, conservation, you know, for looking after the planet, than actual bursts here now and again with outdoor uh, learning where you, you take them out and to be well organized. But they found, and I found that, that, and I always advocated that in when I was a lecturer in SEC, of the 15-minute walkabout uh, each day, maybe just after the small break, when you'd say to the children, we're just walking out. And what are we going to learn? You might say, I don't know. But you'd bring them out and let them, uh, look at the clouds, for example. Let them use their imagination, creativity, and they see faces. We've all seen faces in, in the clouds. What's the temperature like today? And what was it like yesterday? So you're bringing in a bit of maths and a bit of geography. And what can we smell today? And what can we hear? What can we listen? Maybe just get them to close their eyes for for five minutes and, and uh, hear the sounds around them. But watch the changes that are there. Where's the wind coming from? Look at directionality. So you don't really have to have any learning outcomes. They will come. The learning will come from the maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And the research by the University of Derby has vindicated that and said that they said this is the way to go, you know, going outdoors. So it's also good for life skills, outdoor learning, of course, if you're doing gardening. And if you're doing um, gardening, which links in with cooking. So this skill of actually gardening, it lasts you for life. It's a, it's, a, it's a life skill that you have. It's good for your aesthetic development. Just looking at the colours and the shapes and looking at the beauty that's out there. It's amazing. You can integrate it across all subjects in learning. That's what I was going to ask you, actually. It's interesting, Paddy, you mentioned geography there and you mentioned integrating across yeah. the subjects. How many of the curriculum subjects, say in primary or secondary school, do you think can be taught outdoors? All of them. Every one of them. Not how many. They can all be integrated. And there's a wonderful book by Sue Waite, and it's called Learning Outside the Classroom from Birth, birth to Eleven. And where she gets um, experts from the different subjects like maths and a dram and that and they all demonstrate on what can be what can be done on outdoor learning for example you just take uh, maths if you're looking at a tree for example and you find the age of a tree by measuring the circumference of the tree by and uh, then measuring the uh, uh, going 150 centimeters from the ground measuring the circumference 150 centimetres from the ground and dividing by 2.5, you actually get a rough estimate of the age of the tree. So you can link that then with the children. You said the tree here was was born in in uh, uh, 1980, for example, or, or 1950. When we go inside, we're going to uh, 
link that up with history. Say, well, who was president of Ireland in 1950? And who was the king for, who was reigning in, in England? What films were out in 1950? And what music was top in 1950? You can link back into history. You can get the measure the canopy of a tree. And what does a bird see when they look down? And they see it completely different. But you can actually get eight sticks and you're into mapping, the beginning of mapping by the bird's eye view, looking down, and, and the maths as well there. And a lovely activity I do with them in maths is uh, getting the height of a tree using a, a right-angled isosceles triangle uh, made out of cardboard. And so you just get them to stand, you get them to estimate first. And they love estimating. And then, oh, who's right? You know, write it down, make sure not to be cheating. And they just stand back in pairs. I always get them in pairs or in trees so that someone will point out if they're not doing it properly because you do have to hold the a triangle uh, horizontally, parallel to the ground. And you bring in parallel and you bring in angles. And you t I mean, the, the learning is wonderful. Then you can learn about the uh, mini bees around the tree, you know, by setting up. I don't like the word traps for mini bees, but... Um, you end up, you kind of uh, dig a hole in the ground, put in a little container and put in a little bit of banana, leave it there overnight and come back next day. And you're using investigation and skills and observation and, and inquisitiveness and inquiry learning just to see who came during the night out of the leaf litter, or who came into it. You can put... Um, a bubble wrap around a tree and wrap it and put a black sack around that and leave it for a few days and just see who's climbing up the tree at night who's been there because they're having a duvet day they're actually hiding behind this uh, darkness so make sure to put a sheet underneath uh, when you're uh, uncovering your treasures and uh, just to see what uh, what you can do a branch uh, uh, investigation by making out of a a plastic bottle which I have on the website just seeing what um, uh, creatures uh, go across the, the branches you know you can do music just listening to the sound of trees or even even get the children to go around the school grounds collecting sticks different types and then in groups by banging the sticks or rubbing them together just come up with a uh, it's called a silly symphony <laughs> so and have a conductor and it's amazing they will they will make out a tune uh, uh, to a simple tune that they can make, but they'll they will do it. You're, you're it's using percussion. Percussion, yeah. You're using that 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 uh, unit, yeah. Um, so what other geography, history, P uh, P O oh, yes, orienteering outside and an obstacle. Um, you can do uh, uh, obstacle races where. You know, they have to, uh, so many uh, balls inside in a bucket and a group has to be timed. You can time them, you know, many uh, go to the bucket, bring the ball to the end, come back next one. And who can who, uh, time and see which group can actually do it uh, the quick, quickest, you know. So it's a very simple activity. And trails as well are great for linking everything, you know, a maths trail, a history, um, a history trail. What about language? And language all the time you're developing their language skills of bigger, smaller, higher, estimating and uh, looking at the, the names of plants and, and uh, invertebrates that are there in the ground. And um, yeah, so it, it's an, an Irish as well. You can you can talk about the, the different plants and that in Irish and what you see around you and, and converse in Irish outdoors so that... I think it, it actually shows too that subjects are you know they they needn't be taught in the classroom in, in sitting down watching it that learning is ongoing it's everywhere that the very minute you get up in the morning uh, until you go bed, go to bed at night you're learning you don't have to go to school to learn so that's why you can as much as possible take those subjects outdoors and 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 build on them games for example in the past is a lovely one to do which takes in maths and 
it takes in socialization skills and you know in SPHE for example a game called Picky where you have a grid and you have a little shoe polished box full of stones so on one leg which um, is your coordination on one on one leg you stand on one leg <coughs> your left leg and you kick this little box of stones from one grid to the other and if the box uh, lands on um, a line you know do it out in chalk but if it lands on a chalk line you have to go back and next person does it. and that you have to you have to kick the tin of stones or pebbles a polished tin is ideal what they used in the old days from one grid to the other and it has to land in the in the grid and can't land on the on the edge and you have to go all around from one to eight i think is it yeah one grid eight. and then back again it teaches coordination it's it's fun it's in engagement uh, with learning outdoors uh, it is in mathematics and 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 your and skittles is another game an old game which teaches coordination and counting and quick thinking and and mental mental arithmetic and teaches that outdoors as well so yeah and if a teacher was going to say try and do a substantial amount of their teaching outdoors is there any way that their preparation would have to be different or is there any particular preparation that would help it be successful well sue wait again back to sue wait she's uh, one of the people who really advocates outdoor learning so she <clears throat> makes a very valid point that uh, you must embed it into learning outcomes i mean learning outcomes are there they're not going to go away <clears throat> and I would have a problem with them sometimes because not everything uh, that you learn can, an, can have an outcome. I, I, I still think of the the inspector coming into a, a, a school one time and he, he was actually advocating having learning outcomes for every subject and everything you do. And then he went out to his car and started writing his notes. And next thing, this little child comes running out of the school after a frog and the child picks up the frog and cuddles it and and rubs its head and 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 calms it down and just wraps it in his, his jumper and you're just passing the inspector and the inspector rolls down the window and says what are you doing with the frog oh he says i can't leave this frog out here on on this dry road it'll last no time be killed by a car it'll dry up it has no worms or insects or anything to eat out here. Or slugs. He said, nothing. So I'm bringing it back into the pond. And I believe the next time that inspector gave a PowerPoint on uh, uh, learning outcomes and you having to assess them. You know, that was the, the point he was making. That you, 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 if, you, if you write learning outcomes, you have to be able to assess them. And that was his, he showed a slide, not of that child, but of a child holding a frog. And underneath he had written, there are some outcomes in learning that cannot be assessed. So look at the depth. Uh, it was a wonderful slide and wonderful that the inspector could see that. What did that child learn there? How could you assess what he had learned? I mean, where, where, would, you, where would you start? It was infinity. He had learned so much. And he was so prepared for life. So I would say, yes, uh, at the beginning of the school year, when you're, you're when you're laying out your outcomes, that you should incorporate some outdoor learning, even if it's only five minutes, even if it's only the walkabout. Because once they're in the outcomes, then nobody can say to you, why are you out there? And you're saying, I'm out here doing nothing. Uh, because doing nothing sometimes is a great thing. You learn loads. You, you, have the, uh, you have the image of the child firing stones into a pool all the time. And what are you doing firing stones into the pool, firing stone? And what, what's that child learning in his head while all that's going on? That's taken from a lovely book, which I think uh, you, you might have read, called um, Ways of Knowing by John Quinn. And it's what wonderful little little story that shows that just a child throwing stones into a pool and watching the ripples 
that there's huge learning going on at the same time. So yes, put them into the learning outcomes. And what about then a teacher who is conscious of trying to say have the learning more progressive as children go say from the younger classes up to the older classes how do you make it more how do you make the children's learning more complicated or more more matched to their age as they get older yes that's a, a difficult one isn't it and to uh, to to bring it down it it's actually i suppose when you think of something simple like gardening you know where uh, you you certainly will not be growing pumpkins with infants, which has been advocated in one of the websites I've looked at, because children at that age, you have to think of what they want instant at that age. They want to see the pumpkin growing. So not a good one, but it has... Because it, the pumpkin takes too long to it, grow. It actually, you saw it in the spring and you won't see any pumpkin until the autumn. So I've seen it down. So obviously they haven't been looking at the the question you're looking at, this journey of a child. So I always advocate with them something uh, like uh, mange two peas, you know. So get them sprouted fast inside the hot press with damp tissue. And just to, to say to the children, and do a little fair test maybe, ask the children, you know, will we put this these little pea seeds will we put them into a dry tissue or damp we'll put some into dry and we'll put some into damp tissue and we leave them in a warm place maybe not uh, at home if it would be the hot place but beside the radiator in the school and come back and next day or the day after and see which of them have sprouted and they will have sprouted you know little roots and shoots and the other ones won't so there's a lot of learning there for little in and I would say then you saw them, grow them, they're fast, they can eat them. I wonder though, with that particular one now, would you not be better off planting them in some kind of soil rather than in a tissue? Because there's, there's going to be no nutrients or minerals in the tissues. But that's all the learning, you see, John. It's all the learning. There's nothing in the tissue. But you see, you're explaining to the children that the seed doesn't need any nutrients. Absolutely none. It's all there in that little ball or that little capsule. That There's enough there to get it going. Uh, it's just, it'll move the shoot and then the root, but then things start to, to work up. So I would say, tell them the story of a seed growing, you know, and at the younger ages, definitely story would be very much part of the, of the outdoor learning. And then uh, up along, they would get into, we'd say just in the gardening, they'd get into fair testing on different growths and different soils um, and different parts of the garden. And they would do a, a, a more variety of, of growing rather than just the what is it, simple concepts that you want to get going. So it's all about developing concepts. But it's also about, uh, as I found when I was a primary teacher, that if you did something like, gardening uh, with children it was absolutely important that you do it with every class because the layer of learning and they're always learning from the layer before and the layer before so all this layered eventually you come to sixth class and again you're talking about when 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 I was teaching in in my primary school we used to have a half day where we gave the school over to the sixth class. Now, that took a lot of uh, uh, um, trust on our part and, and responsibility given to them. But this is where you, what you will reach if you have this cumulative learning all the way up. And that open day, those children in groups, you know, they greeted the parents at the gate on the open day. They showed them around the garden, explained crops and everything there was wheat growing and we had herbs and we had vegetables of every description and we had biodiversity areas this is back in the 80s when none of this was hurt you know and then they brought them indoors and where they showed them the exhibitions of art and everything and then they brought them down for their tea but before they left we had tables laid out at the gate selling plants to keep us funded uh, for the coming year now some people did donate plants which is great and then they counted the money and they um we did a profit and loss and 
and all of that, all in an afternoon. And we always looked in satisfaction, you know, at the sixth class. So it's like, uh, I suppose, with a flower, it's just this, from infants upwards, you're, you're tending this little flower that's just in bud, and that eventually it comes into full bloom by, by sixth class. And again, I would say, working outdoors with the different classes, short and sharp at the young age, uh, more uh, more length and more complication at the the older age groups. We did a, a series of interviews a few years ago, Paddy, on teaching through the different seasons. Yes. And, you know, we did one on winter, one on summer and so on. But at this time of the year, at the start of a school year, if a teacher wants to teach in line with the seasons, is there anything they should be thinking about at this stage that would, you know, maybe like anticipating what's going to happen in winter or anticipating next spring or next summer? A simple walk in their local park or out the road will tell them what they should, should be doing, for example, in September. What will they see? That's what you need to teach them. And accompany the children throughout the year and what can be seen at particular times. So you could be teaching away and a wasp will come into the classroom. Well, are you going to ignore that wasp, swat it and kill it? And what kind of education are you giving children by swatting the wasp and going on then with the with the sums? No, you'll hopefully release the wasp and you will do immediately your down tools and you'll do a lesson on the wasp, which is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lesson about this creature who's not a bee. That's the first thing you tell them. And why isn't it a bee? It doesn't make honey. If it did make honey, it would be able to live over winter and eat the supplies of honey. But the poor wasp doesn't live, so they all die in the autumn. And that one you saw coming in is bored. It has nothing to do. It has spent all summer feeding uh, little grubs in the nest with green flies you know what they are so we have another little lesson on aphids and cat so the little grubs in the nest they uh, need protein you are into food here and so the the adult wasps go searching there might be 10,000 of these now in the nest but they go searching for this uh, and they mince it up they feed the little babies and you know what the babies give them in return a lick so the adults lick the little grubs and they uh, get a, a sugary substance which gives them energy. In the corner of the nest is the queen laying eggs. But all this comes to an end uh, just coming into September. The, the grubs have all been, been reared. There's no more sugar to lick off them. So where are they going to go for the sugar? Into your glass of coke or your, uh, your bone or your, your jam sandwich, or whatever. That's what they... And people then uh, swing at them, or swipe, and they get stung. So you, you know, this is quite a bad name. Give the children so much in that they're okay. There are some people allergic to them. That is a problem, and we, we need to be aware if you're allergic to wasps and be very careful. But they are great creatures. Every, every gardener loves them. Because they, they, they get rid of billions of green flies and caterpillars that would be destroying their crops. They also help to pollinate plants. So it's a question of education like that. It's a question of, of looking what else is out there. In the morning, the children going to school, those who can, or even go out at playtime, spiders' webs. Why are they out there? Let's look at the garden spider, this fascinating insect, you know, that dies, lays thousands of eggs at this time of the year and then dies and um, you know and and all these little spiderlings are in, in little 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 sacks and they, they come out in the spring so that would be another thing if you're growing in the garden you would grow wheat at this time and you were asking earlier on about integration just a square meter of wheat in a garden is the most wonderful voyage of learning you could possibly imagine because when you sow the seed and the, the green you're learning about grasses and grasses are so then you can bring that into geography 
your lettuce grasses are so important uh, to our economy and to human needs. You know, the rice is a grass, and the bamboo is a grass, and wheat and all these, our bread, our pastas, uh, all of that, you see, grass, all depends on grass. So it's a topic uh, you would explore in, in September. And growing the, the uh, seeds, then you're bringing into history, you know, you're, you might get some some uh, grains of wheat and uh, maybe put them in a, a coffee grinder and turn it into wholemeal flour. The kids are made. The children, what, what time of the year would the wheat, uh, would it begin, could you start milling it? Uh, about a year later, winter wheat, yes. So you, you wait until the following. Um, it might be okay maybe in June, but usually September to September. But then you'd link that in with the first uh, farmers, with the quern. This was the beginning of civilization started when people could found that they could grow their own food and use this uh, saddle quern, which is a two rocks basically, and just to to grind it, you could show them how how the Stone Age first people, and we have evidence of these uh, in in the library. So you're taking in your your history, and then you can do um, a, a line of continuity in history. You're milling through the ages and what the different windmills and, and all of that um, uh, right through. You can take in art into it, you know, Van Gogh and the cornfields and all the lovely art that's that's out there on on uh, the, what's it, the one in France there, isn't it, the, on the stubble field? Oh, the Garners. Was it the gather, Garners or Gatherers? Remember yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, but there's another. You can bring in the mats into it, estimate how many seeds we'll need. Uh, we said that for two or three square metres, it says so many seeds. If it says, for example, you need uh, 17 grams for a square metre, how many grams do we need and how are we going to measure the grams and get your weighing scale and let's measure the note so we have the, the right amount. Then you have this um, uh, protection of them from birds and that and why would you put these up and do we want to kill the birds? We don't. We want to scare them away because they don't. We're, so you can get old CDs and and you can and put them up. So you're into... Um, that kind of a thing and in looking after the environment and yeah so much just in a handful of wheat seed and and then you're into the little red hen and the stories in english and developing stories where where a seed is so important and grass and every culture has stories relating to uh the growing uh, uh, of uh, seed i just think that the little red hen is one it comes into my mind uh, straight off there. And then Irish, you have a lot of Irish around seed sowing and, and all of that and harvesting. Then you have the language of, of sowing and harvesting and winnowing, you know, and chaff. Yeah, and even the, the uh, how fertile is the, 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 gr- the ground that you planted on. Yeah. yeah, so that's your geography and back into your rocks and soils, which I found from experience is not too well done in schools for some reason. What kind of amenities or local features uh, do you think would be suitable for teachers to visit at this time of the year, Paddy? Well, uh, I suppose a park is 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 good because you you can you can see uh, come back to your theme of what to look for. This is a time of year for for seeds, a fruit and seeds. So you can look at uh, dry fruits and succulent fruits those are two uh, distinguishing features of fruits that dry so what, what, what would be a dry fruit a dry fruit would be the helicopters for example on an and a nut you know a nut would be a, a fruit helicopters on the sycamore or maple they'd be uh, ones are the uh, samara on the uh, ash you know the bunch of keys that they have in the keys on the ash tree and then succulent fruits would would be blackberries and and uh, rowan berries and uh, they'd be they'd be rowan or sloes would be rowan. so it's a good idea just to do a fruit and seed walk around and um, let them see what 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 is uh, in a small place you know so a local park is is ideal and then I think most places will will have that if there was a quiet road near a school you'll see the same thing 
in a rural school, especially when I'm thinking parks in the urban schools, you know. Uh, if you wanted to bring in the bit of history, there's always a church nearby or something like that where you can look at, at rocks. Your school grounds, you know, they can often be rich in diversity or biodiversity and then oftentimes they can be very barren. And uh, uh, as soon as the Department of Education bring in a policy where every school ground in the country should be green with a wide variety of of uh, trees and shrubs, native trees that are good for wildlife and hedgerows and even a safe pond. Uh, it, it, my vision of the ideal school is not what the department have on their guidelines for, for school ground. You, really and truly, you should not need to go anywhere if the school grounds were um, biodiverse and if they were enriched with... with uh, biodiversity uh, um, potential, with biodiversity potential, but unfortunately there is no policy. There. And what, what would it take to make schools more, school grounds more biodiverse? Well, first of all, new schools, it should be compulsory, green school site. And most of the ones I see is just what a landscaper decides. The trees are, is trees, poppy trees, I call them, uh, lollipop trees around and they mightn't be native at all. Native is uh, in the sense of being here for 10,000 years. They're the best ones for biodiversity. It might be a whole lot of green lawn and just cut with a ride on more. might be no hedgerow. For example, every school should have a little bit of a hedgerow. And every school should have a wildlife pond with a safe grid on it. So the kids don't fall in. That's possible. And every school should have cultivation raised beds. That's not uh, rocket science that they wouldn't have. And this can be now made out of recycled plastic, which will last forever. And it, it won't uh, encroach on the school budget every year. That's the pond now can be made out of the recycled no, plastic. No, the, the raised beds. Okay, And you have a video on your website we have. Uh, about how to make a raised bed. We have, yeah. Uh, but you can buy the, the raised bed out of recycled. And I, I see poplar now in schools. My brother makes them is is the muffin spare it's a outdoor classroom which is in a circle and the the teacher is in the center and there's a table where every child can work either at art or drawing or um, nature or whatever the the writing poetry um, this outdoor class but one of them should be in every sing in every single classroom we've seen now with the uh, the covid how, how space is, is so precious. But why not use the outdoors? It's left up to principals to, and schools to decide, uh, you know, when the school has been built. But they should have, the department, they should have, every school should have an assessment done on its potential, potential for outdoor learning. And then they should get an expert in, and there are plenty of them out there, that would work with the architect. And just planning out these places in in the ground, it would make such a difference to to children to come into this school every day and to be surrounded by all this richness around them and learning just outside the window. That's what you need to do, learning on the doorstep. There should be no uh, reason really to, to have to go to the park maybe if you had all this. You have a park in the school. I'm a real advocate of that, and I don't think it has reached the top people in the planning in the department. They're, it's getting better. If we look back uh, historically from uh, 2010, 14, up along, it's getting better all the time. But they haven't gone over the, they haven't got to the top of the hill and made it compulsory that every school ground should be green. End of story. And could you say a little bit more, you mentioned there the kind of outdoor school furniture that could be used to support outdoor learning. What what kind of material are you talking about there? What kind of furniture? Uh, well, I'm talking about uh, recycled plastic beds. Now, there's, a, there's a, a, a firm in Ireland that uses plastic, plastic that has been used, but they, they create um, uh, plastic um, planks, you know what I mean, out of them. So you can cut those planks to shape to make raised beds. 
and there are several uh, people doing that raise uh, making uh, raised beds then you have the the outdoor classroom uh, the muffin spare that is a structure as well and that can be made from larch the ones i've seen now have been made from larch and larch is is weatherproof it can last for 60 years outdoors so and you talked about a grid for a pond as well what, yes, would, what would that be it's a grid any pond you have you put a, a steel grid on it just under the water uh, you you can barely see it but frogs and all kinds of wildlife can get in and out as long as you have a slope in the pond but children they can if they fall in they'll be just sitting in the they won't drown it's just barely under you can see them under the water they look grand and great i see they have one up in the botanic gardens as you come in there's a little pond there and there's a, a grid in it because there's always the danger of a child wandering off isn't there and i mean a pond is so much wildlife in it hasn't it and the frogs and seeds and, and all of that yeah and on a, on a previous episode, you recommended children wearing bibs if they're going outside, you know, especially if they're going beyond the, the school grounds. But are there other materials that can be useful for teachers if they're going outdoors? Like I'm, I'm, one, I'm thinking, for example, of clipboards and pencils, but what, yes. what kind of things would yeah. be helpful? I always found uh, when elections come around, I, I, get, uh, I get a donation of the uh, billboards. They're made out of cardboard, which... In some cases where the <laughs> candidate isn't elected, it goes into the dump. But they make the most wonderful light clipboards because you can cut them into an A4 size and all you need then is a close peg. And I always use wooden ones just to show children I'm done. done. I have to use plastic. But I'm, that, a simple thing like having a clipboard uh, made out of election posters and a, a wooden peg and that's all you need. And then a couple of sheets of A4. Children always feel so important when they're heading out with a clipboard, I find. <laughs> Maybe not the infants, you wouldn't bring them out with it. But they, all, they always feel, okay, we're on a mission uh, with our clipboard. And it, there's something to be done and learned. You can always and make sure to put their names on them. Absolute basic piece of equipment are magnifiers, you know. A magnifying glass. Magnifying glass, or or yeah, they're they're very important. But looking at 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 little creatures, or you can get magnifiers, the little containers that you can put creatures into and put a lid on, which magnifies them. A compass. I mean, I have been to so many schools, and I ask for a compass, and it's not there. Like a compass is so basic, you know, yeah, to get the directions. For example. If you're with the children, you say, no, we're going to put up a bird box. There's so much learning in just putting up a bird box because you say to them, uh, all the research shows that there's certain ways if you face a bird box, they won't work. For example, I said, we'll put it up this way, the compass. Look at the compass. What way is it? We're facing south. Hands up to us to think that's a good idea. You know, get them to think out. And actually you take them out of their misery it's not a good idea because the sun would be roasting the little fledglings that are in there so you try another angle this is real learning you know you're getting them to discuss and think uh, pair and share among themselves maybe we'll we'll face it the other north is that north and the compass yes what would happen if i kept going in that direction you get to the north pole right you would we're not going to do that today maybe another day um, would that be good? Paste the box that way. Get their answers, get their uh, estimates and everything. No, it wouldn't because it's too cold. Little fledglings uh, would freeze. So you then you come to west and put it that way. And then ask them a little question. Have you learned in geography in school about the prevailing wind? And if they haven't, tell them. Tell them there's a wind called the prevailing wind. And get them to repeat it, because I always find that when you when they speak their thoughts, they remember them better. That's something I I would really believe. And let them to ask one another, what is the prevailing wind? What do you think the prevailing wind is? So let them use the word a number of times until it internalizes and become. 
So, after that, might be a good idea, would it? Because the prevailing wind actually comes from the southwest. And what does it bring to Ireland? Uh, our geography again, rain and lots of it. So the poor little fledglings would be washed out of it, wouldn't they? Not a great idea. Who thinks now? <laughs> they will come up with east. Yes, the wind is dry. It comes across from, you can show them a little globe if you have it, across from Russia and all across the continent. How would you make it a little bit warmer though? You know, because that wind is a bit, uh, a bit dry maybe and a bit cold. Face it, southeast. You're into a different, different southeast, uh, a different dimension of the compass, which they mightn't have known. The little in-betweens that are there. So you'd put up the box that way, and you might just put one if you have a few in facing different directions that are that are not valid, but part of your test, part of your inquiry. And then the great moment is the spring. See who comes into your nest so much learning and that but the compass so vital for learning and especially if you're running a treasure uh, map and which links in with your maths and that you know and the orienteering orienteering you know get them to bring their compass with them and you can get cheap compasses now and the leader says you go to walk 10 steps towards the tree go south for five north and this way great fun and just using that going in a small space. Uh, so definitely, I don't like using the word bog viewers. Because bog are a bog hotel, Sean. Oh, merciful God. I hate the word because it's so it's an American expression for insect. Now, a bog is only one type of insect. Like a, a green fly. And he's sucking. In the, they, they suck the... the uh, the subs or they suck the uh, the juice or the sap out of the plant. That's a bug, but a, a wasp isn't a bug. But you kill wasp bugs according to this, or or woodlice certain bugs, because they they um, they eat rotten leaves. You know they don't suck the so that's a, just turns me off. So I don't use. I, I, I mean we we're often infiltrated with stuff from other cultures, which isn't really suitable. For us, um, and you have different, you have, uh, you can actually differentiate different types of insects. As I said earlier on, there's a, there's a, a fly, for example, and there's a bee, two different ones, you know. So you have to get children to differentiate uh, what they are and be careful with the with the vocabulary. So don't use bug, magnifiers is, is always good. Um, compass, uh, good. What else? Safety, you know, kit. Have that there too. With First aid kit. First aid kit, yeah. Always there, you know, you're necessary. You know, especially if you're leaving the school. Not so important if you're uh, within the school. A little bum mat, I, uh, the better word. I don't know what the right word. But just to, it's a little cheap mat which you can buy. To sit down. Exactly. To sit on the grass. And if you're doing... What I, I mentioned earlier uh, there about um, forest bathing, Shingrun Yuku, oh, excuse my Japanese, and you need the mat just to sit on and watch the greens and blues and breathe in, uh, breathe in deeply, in, in, inhale, but then exhale or breathe out ve with a very, very, very long breath, you know. And then breathe in again, but breathe out and along and just get them to look and see. And and it's very relaxing and great for their mindfulness, you know, is another big one. It concentrates them just on the colours around them. I, I'm just thinking, Paddy, some people might be thinking these, these ideas are great, but some might be saying, oh, look, I'm teaching in an inner city school. All I have around me is concrete. Like, it, this doesn't really apply to me. Yes, well, I taught in inner city school and there was nothing there. And I remember the children saying to me one day, I said, they were going on a history walk, you know. There's nothing around here. I said, nothing, nothing. I said, you'll be amazed. So I, I remember just looking at chimneys one day and just looking at them and saying, you know, what's happening with that chimney? Why is there uh, four pots in that chimney and two on this chimney? How many rooms do you think of that house is there? It's got 
fireplaces. And they were fascinated, looked. And so we did the chimney walk. <laughs> that was uh, that was it. That was that day. But there's always a church nearby. There's always a park nearby. There's always a window box if you want to grow. Listen, I have grown potatoes. Someone wanted to know this year, well, can you grow potatoes in a refuse sack? You know, the black ones. I said, no problem. So I put down three in April and I have a group of enthusiasts on a WhatsApp. There are 50 of them at the moment. We share uh, ideas and, and resources constantly and uh, it, it started out with the Engage with Nature course which you give month by month locally with the Kildare Education Centre so I had huge pleasure in posting the other day 60 potatoes was the yield from this bag a refuse sack just a compost and soil in it they were it was a massive yield so a window boxes are fantastic. You can grow peas, uh, fantastic peas to eat in a window box. You can grow onions and garlic. You herbs. Herbs of, of all types of window box can, can be done, uh, bulbs, and they're uh, relatively cheap. And you don't need you don't need the, the, the grounds. I mean, I have been in places that are fairly bare. You can feed birds. You can make bird feeders out of apples, you know, um, and just cut the apples into and um, stick little seeds into them like uh, uh, sunflower seeds and hang them by string on the railings and all of that and and you can set up a board station in a school if you have those feeders you know you can set up binoculars inside uh, in the school where you're looking out at the feeders that you have set up Uh, it might be a blank a bare yard but you have your feeders you can have your binoculars set up and you can have your bird charts, and you can have groups of people, children who are finished. That was there. That would be. I. I. I had that in schools and uh, schools. It's just a great way for the early finishers to do a bit of bird watching. Amazing what they, uh, what they will learn in that time, and how well they do the work before you can become a bird watcher. And it's so simple. Just a post outside the classroom window. And a square, thirty centimeter square, piece of of wood on top, and put your seeds out every morning, and have it there as a as a resource. And it solves a problem for a teacher, which is the early finishers. Uh, the early finisher, and this they can sit quietly with binoculars, and you can get very cheap ones now, uh, from uh, those outdoor learning places like uh, Mountain View. Is that one? I, I remember I got some there recently. They were they were they were around ten euro, and they were excellent lightweight binoculars. So a must you were saying there, a must as well would be binoculars and children's binoculars. They're nice and light, so that you can even if you had only a set of them, you know. And I I think a set of buckets as well are useful to have in your outdoor learning material. Maybe a bucket per group, you know, if you're doing a mini beast hunt, for example, and little paintbrushes and and dessert spoons. That's all you need, you know, and you send them off looking for two mini beasts, but you might have done a little walk of the school grounds and shown potential places, but then send them off in groups of four or five with a little bucket, uh, a sand castle bucket, <laughs> And a little old paint brush, uh, artist brush, and a dessert spoon, and maybe a magnifier if you can afford them. So to put them into. Uh, and again, you're talking about the the concrete, cutting milk cartons in half, just cut them and put a few holes in the bottom, put them in compost. You can sow chives, and you can sow spring onions in them. Make fantastic. They're great for growing. You can sow marrowfat peas, which you can da- buy down in the shop for a few pennies. Uh, just put them around the the half a milk. We have that stuff up on our website, www.engagewithnature.ie. Simple parent-child activities that we have up there, which we put up during COVID, just for if you want to do something, just to keep them interested. And it's amazing, just a half a carton. Uh, cut cotton too, well washed, filled with compost, a few holes in the bottom. That will engross a child, the growing. Yeah, no, the Engage with Nature website is wonderful. And that, that only came about during COVID, is that right? 
That, well, no, it came about before COVID with the generous assistance of the Black Rock Education Centre. And I've worked with them for many years. But during COVID, we did put up activities uh, relating to what you could do with your children. It came about last year because I felt there was nothing out there that would accompany teachers, children and even adults throughout the year. What can I do now? Simple video, right? And uh, a simple blog. We have a blog that goes there bi-weekly. It'll probably be weekly. You know, just what you can see around you today on a normal walk. Uh, just what flower can you see? Or maybe a bee or it might be a dragonfly. Just, just what comes to your butterfly. What can I see in September? Because the whole thing is... is I look at nature, Sean, as a, a stage. And you're... You're watching a great play, which is one of the great pleasures of life, isn't it? Just sit down there and watch it unfold in front of you, act by act, scene by scene. Well, that to me is nature. It's 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 a stage, and every day there's a new something, some other, some character comes in. It might be the flower, or it might be a bird, but they they come on stage, and then they go. For example, we say June now. For example, there. The wild rose came on stage in the hedgerows. They've been quiet all year. But when the time came, they made an entrance. They did their bit. They spoke with real beauty of pink and white on the hedgerows. They were, they were all along there and they were saying, look at me, admire me. It doesn't make you feel good. And then they kind of retreated for a while. But now they come back out again as hips, you know, the lovely orange scarlet hips that you see. And then they'll be eaten by birds and they'll disappear until they're needed again. They came first as as blossoms in June, but then they went back and they changed the costume and they came as hips in autumn. But that's it now, that's their opinion. But I look at it every day is just unfolding story on the stage which has to keep you interested. If that doesn't keep you interested, forget about mindfulness and, and all this and well-being. This is it. This is, this is, you can, it's outside your door. And no matter where you are in Ireland, you'll have a park or a, a seashore or you'll have a, you'll have a, a, a road outside. You might be lucky to have a, a garden, but it's, it's, it, it, it will keep you mentally well, certainly. Just connecting with with it. Paddy, we're coming near the end. I have two more questions I want to ask you. The first one is, have you a favourite writer or book or blog about education? I mentioned John Quinn, did I? Ways of Knowing. I don't know whether that book is. Have you read it? Is that the black and white one? It's a huge tome uh, with with little short stories about uh, ways of learning. For example, the the boy... firing stones into the... I think that was done, was it, for the so, U- European... Yes. U- Ireland had the U- presidency yeah. of the European Union. Every school got a copy. Now, that's a wonderful thing just to to read through and see all the different learning that goes on through it. I just found that uh, a, a wonderful book. Now, I often dip into it just to read one of the little stories is going to say, yeah, isn't that... I mean, there's someone learning just... Uh, one of the things on outdoor learning is in unstructured play. Uh, quite a lot of research now to show that unstructured play outside in the school grounds, just uh, playing, finding sticks and stones and and <laughs> bones or whatever they find, and just playing with them, making up their own stories, which you did as a as a child and I did. We didn't have toys or we didn't have uh, nice dens made with ladders going up to them I'm sure and slides and bouncy castles and and all that no you were just sent out and you just had to cope but you made your play with with sticks and stones and whatever you found outside and I found um, uh, Richard Louvre you know uh, Last Child in the Woods have you read that one no yeah that is a fascinating uh, 2007 fascinating insight into american childhood which is is coming our way at just about children not 
exploring the outdoors and not engaging in it, not connecting in it, and the consequences of it. You know, he, he he paints that awful picture of when he asked the child, why did he prefer indoors than outdoors? And the child answers, because there are more sockets indoors. You know, And I mean, he said that nearly sums up. And then he was, he talks a lot about um, safety and over-safety and over-structured, like the opposite of unstructured, play over-structured child routine, which uh, children will rebel against. You know, really, it is good to have some structures going on, but not all the time. Give them space uh, to play with. I found that a, a, a really good book. Anything uh, by John Feehan, who's from your own country, I find him a man that uh, he excites me. His thoughts on the learning and the environment. And um, I have a book of his Wildflowers of Offaly, which I just delve into every now and again. He goes through the different plants and their medicinal purposes and their provenance and their makeup. And he just has this fascination with pollination and, and you can see the mind of a of a now he has he i noticed during covid now he has a whole lot of short videos up exploring the plants around offaly and kildare a, a leash and that he just has short videos looking at simple plants like dandelions and and um rose bay, bay willow herb and these common plants and knapweed and he's just there you're following him around and i am i'm really he excites me so much because if he's he's an educated person. I I look at an educated person as someone with wide interests, never stopping stopping uh, being inquisitive, always inquiring, right uh, right to the end that you're 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 looking around and you say how did that come about and what's happening. I think if a school can can get children to be ongoing learners not online learners now but ongoing i know you learn quite a lot online and i'm not disparaging it in any way but richard louve said uh, the more high tech we become the more nature we need and i think that's nearly a good way of finishing up isn't it that little quote from him on the um the website uh, I have a quote up about what's important is that children learn to love the natural world. I'm, I'm not quoting it correctly, but I'll paraphrase it. He makes the quote that what's important is that children learn to love the natural world uh, before asking them to heal its wounds. And I think that uh, the author has gone out of my head at the moment. Uh, David, somebody... But I, I just that that should be written uh, in in uh, stone outside every school. They they taught in that, you know. And the website again, Paddy, engagewithnature.ie. Engagewithnature.ie, and it's ongoing and it's uh, being developed all the time, and we're always um, thinking up new ideas to create with it. It's really for everyone, but. It is uh, focused on uh, on schools um, and, and how they can accompany the children throughout the year. I, another one there the, the, that inspired me a lot, and there's a few books, is uh, The Duchess of Abercorn, believe it or not, Sasha. She, she passed away recently. A very exciting person from the north of Ireland who... Uh, found out that during the troubles and her children were a bit traumatized by the whole thing but she found that getting them to create using nature as a stimulus was a wonderful way of getting people together so they were all the same so she founded the pushkin trust which is still going strong so it works kind of you get school uh, children from different backgrounds together and uh, it's funded by government and by a whole lot of things and that together they would find they have more commonalities than differences. Or they, they go maybe on a nature walk with one facilitator. And then they come in and they do maybe a creative writing 
with another one and then they'd move on to do a bit of percussion and a bit of music with a, with another one or art with another one and they found that creating together the, at the end of the day they were all there was no differences anything religion or creed or colour or anything and she was wonderful now she started all this back in the 90s I think the Pushkin Trust which is goes north and south but wonderful visionary she had this lovely thing of accompanying the creativity of a child isn't that a lovely expression accompanying uh, the creative creativity of a child i remember reading that on on one of the books that is on her uh, which they have with pushkin have published exciting person no doubt about it and that was dr paddy madden's description of the late sasha hamilton the duchess of abercorn Paddy has been a heritage and school specialist since 1999. His website is engagewithnature.ie and is well worth visiting if you enjoyed this week's podcast. Remember, you can listen to or download over 400 previous episodes of Inside Education by going to my website, seandelaney.com slash podcasts. I'd be grateful if you could leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Write to me with suggestions or feedback to Inside Education Podcast at yahoo.com. My book about teaching, Become the Primary Teacher Everyone Wants to Have, is available from online bookstores or to borrow from your local library. It will soon be available as an audiobook, which I narrated. Until the next time, this is Sean Delaney signing off. Thank you for listening. Music